passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Long and Winding Railroad, our uh, look at the the classic era of all Japan pro wrestling of the 1990s here at Post Wrestling. And uh, joining me this month on this episode, this is episode uh, 37. Yes, correct. Episode 37. And joining me is first time guest and the first actually first time uh, I've ever recorded something with uh this particular guest it's uh it's bruce lord the the brew dog as as uh, coined <laughs> by uh my my uh my nemesis uh brandon from new jersey i i can't wait for his episode of the long and winding road well, how would i just say don't hold your breath because that's never gonna happen oh goodness yeah no it's i i feel kind of a bit of pressure on me here that this is the first time that you and i have done a podcast together we haven't done a g1 review or anything like that and you know, look, this is a podcast that has featured some very illustrious names, uh, you know, from Tom Lawler, the world's second biggest Boy George fan uh, after my partner, to arguably the preeminent Western ambassador of this era of wrestling uh, that, you know, we currently have in Eddie Kingston, uh, to my fellow lower mainland, or the uh, the wrestling genius Daniel Maccabe, uh, a man that I know you're a fan of, WH, who uh, I'll be seeing take on Cat Power this weekend at the fabulous Commodore Ballroom for Nation Extreme Wrestling. Shout out to my old pal, Rob Fay. And that's not even to mention the who's who of wrestling writers and analysts you've had on, um, many of whom, in all seriousness, many of whom have very much uh, helped to shape and improve my understanding and appreciation of Puro in general, and specifically this period. Uh, I certainly cannot measure up to those people in terms of experience or knowledge, but I'd like to think that the, uh, the excitement and love for pro wrestling, that watching just about any match featuring Kenta Kobashi uh, kindles within me uh, means that having me on here won't be a complete waste of everyone's time. WH. Wow, you you, you forgot to mention John Cena and slandering that poor man. Uh, <laughs> what a shake my head. Who oh do you ever beat? <laughs> Actually, uh, well, <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, we 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 love John Cena here at the Long Hawaii Railroad. It's it's all it's all in jest, John. It's all in jest. All right, so this is episode thirty-seven. And, and Bruce's pick for the for the match that we're going to talk about is featuring uh, the great Kenna Kobashi. I think if you were to build the perfect pro wrestler, a lot of people might say Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson. I couldn't argue with that. But I would say, for my money, the perfect pro wrestler is Kenna Kobashi. And there's a lot of reasons why I would say that. Even though he's not my favorite pillar. My favorite pillar is Kawada because I love Kawada's story. But... If I was to pick a guy who I'd build a promotion around, it would be Kenny Kobashi. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that you're a Kawada guy, but you've also, I think, really made the case for 
Kobasha, Kobashi, excuse me, as being just about kind of the ultimate natural baby face. And I'm very much uh, in agreement with you there. Um, I've talked on other podcasts about uh, kind of how watching Wrestle Kingdom 9 was a big breakthrough moment for me. Uh, but in addition to that, there was a period a few years ago when my buddy Alex, who I uh, do some other non-wrestling kind of music related podcasting with, uh, he just downloaded a whole big cache of Puro and Joshi. And a few years ago, when we were both kind of really getting back into wrestling hardcore, after we finished recording a podcast of our own, uh, we'd sit back, crack a beer, and just kind of move through that archive and just throw a match or two on that really, you know, oh, had a name that we'd heard of or sounded interesting to us uh, and watch our way through that. We were going through it kind of blind and totally uh, out of chronology, but over a few months, um, Alex became very much fixated on Manami Toyota and even went so far as to name one of his cats after her uh, while I got hooked on Akira Hokuto and Kenta Kobashi. And for me, it's not just... Uh, Kobashi's fire or intensity that drew me in, or even the quality of his matches in terms of work. And oh boy, is there a lot of work in the match uh, that we're going to be talking about today. I think it there's something intangible in the way that he brings those forces together in such a way that you cannot help but root for him and get behind him no matter the situation. And so often, I think that when we talk about natural fa uh, baby faces, they often have something either of like the natural underdog in them, like a Brian Danielson, at least in the WWE, or a Rey Mysterio, or they have the deck stacked against them by cheating nemeses, you know, the way that like Bruno or Steamboat do. Kobashi is this huge, strong, seemingly just preternaturally natural athlete who's going into fair contests with other wrestlers, and yet you just end up completely giving yourself over in needing to see him win, to needing to see that fire and passion that he is always exuding be born out in the result of the match. And it's for those reasons uh, that I'm very much agreement with you that, you know, he's one of the easiest layup baby faces of all time, if not the greatest natural baby face of all time. For sure. And and we're going to be talking about a match he has uh, with one Dr. Death, Steve Williams, one of my favorite foreign wrestlers to to wrestle in all Japan, but also like actually one of my one of my favorite wrestlers. Like I was a fan of this guy when I was just reading the after mags and I'd see mm -hmm. like when they would cover Mid-South and the UWF. And I'm like, if you look at Steve Williams back then and even up to, you know, up to like when he's like, you know, like kind of broken down. He's a very imposing figure. And then you, then you actually watch him wrestle and work. And it's like, holy shit, this guy's actually a really good wrestler. He's super athletic. He's not just a big dude. He uses his strength and his size perfectly. And, and, uh, I, I, I've been, a, I'm always a big fan of, of Dr. Death. And I'm, I'm, you know what? He has my, he has the, my favorite boot designs. <laughs> in wrestling i was listening to your uh earlier episode of long and winding royal road with davy portman talking about kind of the precursor to this match uh kobashi and williams's match from 1993 uh and you were putting his boot game over big and yeah from the boots to the robe to just the, the kind of the the boxer's shuffle that he always has uh there's just that kind of like credibility and intensity in the presentation of Williams, at least primary of Williams's uh, stuff all the way through. I have to admit that unlike yourself uh, and unlike, you know, 
Nate Milton and so many other people who I think had kind of a more thorough education, wrestling education, much earlier than I did. You know, I'm one of those people uh, who grows up only ever having watched the WWF. So with the Brawl for All fiasco, when you had Jim Ross going on for weeks and weeks and weeks about the resume of this merciless killing machine who has destroyed everyone in Japan for the past few years and how he's going to come in here and just knock everyone the fuck out. And then he gets dropped by Bart Gunn in the second round. Williams never really had a chance to kind of get out of the starting gate with me and my friends who are watching WWF in the 1990s, which is obviously just an effect of what a dumb fucking idea that whole thing was. So all of that is to say that because I got off on such of a wrong foot with him, I always welcome any chance to correct that first impression. And any time I have gone back and watched Williams working in All Japan or in WCW, Mid-South, wherever it happens to be, anything from his past career up until a certain point, at least, I'm never sorry that I do so. And it always makes, washes out a little bit of the bad taste in my mouth uh, that that first impression left. I, I think with Steve Williams, one one thing I really love about him, and this is also true of Ken Kobashi, is that he has a near kind of perfect career of like both uh, as a singles wrestler and importantly for more importantly for me as a tag team wrestler, mm. because I, I think like there are some wrestlers that I love, but like you don't have a, a great tag team resume yet. You know, like Brian Danielson is a, is a good example. He does not have a great tag team mm. resume yet. And mm. I'm waiting for him to, to team up with young Wheeler Yuta and, and have a, a one year run with those AEW tag team titles, maybe. Cause I think they, they, that that's what he needs to just cement it for me personally. Right. But like Steve Williams, Part of two amazing tag teams. I'll tell you, the first one is obviously the one with Terry Gordy, the Miracle Violence Connection. Greatest tag team fucking name ever of all time. It's, all right. it's perfect. It's perfect. And then you might people might be surprised. My other favorite tag team with Steve Williams is, is the Varsity Club with Mike Rotunda in, in Jim Crocker Promotions. And uh, they, they had a brief run with the NWA World Tag Team titles. They defeated the Road Warriors. And I thought, what a perfect tag team. Like, you have Steve Williams, and you had, uh, you know, the powerhouse of the team who could also wrestle. But you had then you had, like, a great technical wrestler in Mike Rotunda. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the Varsity Club gimmick. Uh, why Kevin Sullivan was the head of it, I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, like, the singlet, like, and that's when, when Doc started wearing the singlet, I was like, fuck, yeah, that's a cool look. And, and he wears it sometimes with with in the miracle violence connection in in japan he doesn't wear it for like any of these singles matches that that i've you know the the the, the one i talked about with davy um from from 90 from 93 and then the, today's match that we're going to talk about from from 1994 you'd be a better person to be able to speak to this i think in terms of the japanese fans or japanese audiences reaction or reception or interpretation of that sort of american collegiate you know, amateur wrestler archetype that we saw, you know, work a lot, I think, in, you know, Southern territories and whatnot, but obviously that, you know, Vince McMahon had little time for not really understanding the Steiners or whatever it might be, um, you know, and how it is that that sense of, you know, credibility that people like Williams brought to the idea of somebody who has that kind of like pure athletic amateur sort of background uh and then coming into the japanese system um you know you again i'd, I'd be kind of 
I don't know if that's this is really the time or the place to kind of get into that in terms of how that archetype maybe compares to, you know, like the wild man Brody uh, character or, you know, the cowboy uh, of Hanson. How does this like, you know, pure athlete uh, kind of gets over? I mean, obviously, you know, for better or for worse, the Lesnar thing is uh, something that Japan takes a kick at the can at uh, much after much after the Williams. Uh, oh, I run. mean, they're like because like the press and the commentators in whatever promotion he'd be working for in Japan would play out the fact that he is, you know, like he has legit amateur wrestling credentials. And they love that. Like they love that about like someone like Jumbo Saruta. And they, mm. they love like if you have a legit background and say, say like sumo, like Jinichiro Tenru does. And then they, they play that up with Williams. Yes. They, they would talk about that in the press. They would talk about that in on, on commentary with Dr. Dusty Williams. Oh, like he's, He's wearing a singlet because like he is actually a legitimate collegiate mm-hmm. wrestler and he 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 went really far and he's also like a, a legit tough American football player and, and all these things and and so yeah it, it plays a large part like at versus like oh there's a his partner is big tough Terry Gordy who's who uh who got who started drinking a lot with Michael Hayes at the age of 16 <laughs> I you know, I don't know <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 a you know balancing effect, you know, night and day sort of effect there, I suppose. I'm sorry. I, um, by the way, I, I don't mean any disrespect to Terry Gordy. I am a huge fan of Terry Gordy. So. Oh yeah, no, it's just it's just you know, like you sort of say, you know, or even alluding to with the rotunda thing in terms of the slight differences there. You need a little bit of balance between the two of them, and whether that's you know thorny old uh brian danielson with with young and peppy wheeler uter or whatever it might be uh, i know that i i know that on earlier episodes of the long and winding royal road you've uh you've you've stood up for some of the more unlikely pairings that kobashi uh has had you know uh with with the likes of johnny ace and del wilkes and, and things like that oh yeah, yeah, yeah like the guy yeah uh, global energetic tough <laughs> what, what a great team uh, great de- unit name you know um yeah no i mean my favorite tag team with kenikawashi is of course burning with junekiam i think it's a perfect yeah. tag team i love it more i like that team a lot more than his tag team with misawa even though that has probably a, a, a you know has a you know greater cachet among fans you know their matches with the holy demon army but i i am a huge fan of the burning faction of kobashi and akiyama with couple other guys um but yes let us talk about today's match bruce it it is from september 3rd 1994 uh as you record this it's 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 a it, we're, we're recording this on september 5th so i actually watched this again for the first time in a long time on, on september 3rd so it's kind of like an anniversary viewing for me uh mm-hmm. it is uh, ken kabashi versus steve williams it is for uh steve williams triple crown title which he won from one Mitsuhara Misawa, he ended uh, Misawa's 705-day reign as a Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. I think much to the surprise of a lot of people, I think a lot of people were expecting Kawada to be the one who ended his reign, but it was not him. It was Dr. Death Steve Williams. So that was about uh, two months prior to the match that we're going to talk about. So back in uh, July, he, he did that. And um, yeah, this is a sequel to... Kenda Kobashi's match with the, Steve Williams from August 31st, 1993, almost to the year uh, mm-hmm. that they're having this rematch. That, the, the 93 match was a number one contenders match that 
Steve Williams won. And now we will talk about this match. And if you haven't watched it already and you're going to you're going to watch it later after we do the review, I, which is a very odd sequence of events, uh, you know, to 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 plan out for yourself. But, hey, uh, we will talk about whether or not uh, Kenegawashi is able to eke out a win over Dr. Death here on, on this contest. But let, let's talk about this. This is from this show is from the All Japan Summer Action Series 2 uh tour from 1994 it's day 11 it's the it's the i believe it's the last day of the tour it's from the budokan hall uh, one of my favorite places to to watch wrestling bruce because my god the air conditioning in that building is <laughs> fucking amazing uh, that's 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 you know wrestling promoters around the world if you want this man's endorsement uh that you know know that that is what you know wh park lives and dies by is is the ambient temperature in your room uh to to, to break the fourth wall here we had a conversation for about three minutes before we started recording about the the various air conditioning and fan options happening in our respective apartments that's right and 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 uh so pr- probably I will never uh, put over any uh, GCW show because I hear their 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 air conditioning options are are rather dire to be quite honest. And uh, but back to, to back to Bidicon Hall. This this show garnered an attendance of sixteen thousand three hundred people, pretty much a, a sellout for 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 all Japan, which was very common during this era that they would sell out Budokan regularly. Which is which is uh it, it's it's similar to like Bruno's record of selling out. You know, like Madison Square mm. Garden, like I don't know how many times, but uh, sixteen thousand people is nothing to sneeze at in, in nineteen ninety. Yeah, so let's talk about this card before we get to the match itself, Bruce. So, uh, starting things off was a was a singles match between Mighty Inoue, who defeated Young uh, Rookie Kentaro Shiga in six minutes and fifteen seconds. A, a tag team match was next. The Young Bloods. Chris Youngblood and Mark Youngblood, the, the, the brothers of Jay Youngblood, uh, defeated Super Generation Army of uh, Satoru Asako and Siyoshi Kikuchi in 9 minutes, 35 seconds. Six-man tag team match, the the old man comedy match on, on the card. Mm. Masao Inoue, uh, Mitsuo Momoda, and Russia Kimura defeated uh, Haruka Aigen, Masanobu Fuchi, and Ryukaku Izumita, which I'm sure there was uh, uh, Haruka Aigen... Uh, Spitting into the audience spot. That's why you will see usually people in the front row having newspapers during oh. his matches to make sure he his spit does not land on them. Uh, six. See, we give we give Noah grief for the the old man comedy matches early on, but it's 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 a, it's a long standing tradition as we're finding out here. It is a six man tag team match. Uh, Doug Furness, the Eagle, and the Falcon. It's a it's a it's a menagerie of birds here. <laughs> uh, defeat uh, Johnny Ace. Johnny Smith and Ricky Santana in 12 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, All Japan World Junior Heavyweight title match. Danny Crawford, the champion, uh, successfully defends his title by defeating Yoshinari Agawa in 13 minutes and 32 seconds. And correct me if I'm wrong, I I do believe I, I reviewed this match. I, you definitely reviewed a was it Crawford? I, there was definitely been a couple, at least one Ogawa match uh, in the series, and let's see here. In terms of, we've got Ogawa, and then to jump ahead a little bit, we've got Akiyama. Is there anybody else from this card still working besides those two? Uh no. Uh, unfortunately, probably more more due to death than, than anything else. Uh. Singles match: Stan Hansen defeats Junakiyama in eight minutes and twenty-three seconds. Uh, uh, semi-main event: Giant Baba, Mitsuhara Masawa, and Taman Honda defeat the Holy Demon Army combination of Akira Tawe, Toshiaki Kawada, and Takao 
Omori in 30 minutes and 59 seconds. I don't know if I want to see a 31-minute match featuring <laughs> Giant Baba. <laughs> Not at this point in time, yeah. No. And finally, and then, of course, our main event is Steve Williams defending the Triple Crown title against Kenta Kobashi. All right. So let's let's get into the match, Bruce. Do you, do you have any thoughts b- before we, we actually get into uh, this, this uh, talking about what happens in the match itself? Well, just maybe as to why I selected this one. Uh, one, I think there's a lot of interesting connective tissue between it. And as you alluded to, the match that it is a sequel of that you reviewed earlier uh, in this series. And I imagine we'll be talking about that at a couple of points throughout our discussion of the match itself. Uh, but as far as this match in particular, there used to be a like supercut video on YouTube of all of Kobashi's triple crown challenges and defenses all linked together, which ended up being like 10 hours long. And there were a whole number of times when on the weekend or whatever, and I had a free day or something like that, I'd pull that video up and say, okay, today is the day I'm going to get through all of them. And invariably I would have to stop after like two or three matches maximum, partially due to their length, but partially due to there being, you know, it's possible to have too much of a good thing. And, you know, you watch a couple of Kobashi like main events and you just get so amped up. You just end up wanting to drop kick your refrigerator. So in a nutshell, uh, I've seen this match a whole lot. And I do think that even if you haven't seen the 93 match, uh, it is a great introduction to what makes Kobashi so endearing uh, as we were both talking about off the top. There's a lot of, you know, like callbacks to, their their 93 match i mean mm-hmm. particularly with you know dr death's finisher the the the, the what the japanese def- call the dangerous backtrack driver which which dr death calls re- refer refers to as the, the dangerous backdrop driver i just call it the backdrop driver because i think that's just simpler but i just call it in the previous match just three consecutive attempted murders that yes. were never prosecuted in any court no. of law no uh jesus you brutal, do not want brutal. to take like the high angle backdrop driver from dr Dusty williams like or 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 from anyone else for that matter, who might be like, hey, you know, you know Dr. S.C. Williams, he's got his finisher was this high angle back there. You just say no to that person, please. Yes, yeah, no, no. And if, if you haven't seen that match, it's, uh, you know, I think a very kind of like still like kind of young and a little bit wet behind the ears, Kobashi just kind of coming off almost a little bit half cocked and just kind of impetuous and just trying to get these flurries of offense out. Whereas Williams just sort of, he he's almost kind of confused and bemused by Kobashi. Like what's this young guy playing at until his patience with this young man just wears out. Okay, fine. You countered a doctor bomb. You got out of an Oklahoma stampede. I just have to break your neck until you stay down. God damn it. And that's effectively how that match finishes. All right. So the match starts with both men locking up and going to the mat and here, uh, Great, it's great. Kobashi is able to catch Williams by surprise with a series of rolling cradles that gives uh, Kobashi an early psychological advantage with his uh, with the first two count of the match. They they then engage with in a, in a test of strength with the Greco Roman knuckle lock, and uh, they're just like going back and forth. Who's stronger? Like, and and the fact that you know, like you know, Williams is like, okay, Kobashi's going to be next, one of the next guys. I, I got to make sure I don't make him look foolish, and I got to give him a lot mm-hmm. in this test of strength. And, of course, legit, Kobashi's a pretty strong fucking dude if you just look at him, right? Um, and in and in kayfabe, I think, in the first, you know, opening sequences there, you can see sort of a slightly new kind of wariness and a little bit more experience in Kobashi in the feeling out process. He's not just immediately going for the neck the way he did last time. He's showing off a little bit of his grappling 
fighting technique. Um, you know, and I think there's maybe a little bit of like learned fearful respect in there as well, right? You know, in kayfabe, Christ, this guy like nearly snapped my neck off the last time, or not they had a championship carnival match a few months earlier, which I really wanted to find, but I could not, wasn't able to track down. Uh, you know, I think he's approaching Williams a little bit more cautiously. And as a result, this match, I think, is a bit more spaced out uh, for it. Uh, they go back and forth with the, the test of strength until uh, Kobashi is able to take uh, Doc's uh, back. And then, uh, you know, Doc, Dr. Death uh, is able to reverse that. There's a chop exchange uh, with both men no selling the other strikes. Uh, there's two Kobashi shoulder tackles. And with the second one, uh, Kobashi is able to knock uh, Dr. Death down. Uh, Kobashi follows up with a drop kick that sends uh, Steve Williams to the outside. From here, Kobashi DDTs Dr. Death on the outside and it follows up with a body slam. And then, you know, he hits them with this amazing, uh, you know, top, turn, t- t- top turnbuckle dive where he's on the top turnbuckle. Dr. Death is on the ground and he dives onto him and like a man that size is, is un it's 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 impressive and, and really scary to watch that and and this is something like you know people like wonder why Hiroshi Tanahashi is crazy he does that kind of move all the time it's because Kenny Kobashi when he was growing up was his favorite wrestler and I, I I'm pretty sure this is a move he stole from Kenny Kobashi and let's not forget that Kobashi probably has, I don't know, what, 60, 70 pounds uh, on, on peak Tana, uh, probably at this point, or something close to it. Um, this whole sequence is effectively photocopied from that previous 1993 match, though it happens a little bit earlier in this match. And if you watch it play out this time, Kobashi's much more measured as he does it and as he executes it. He kind of ensures that, you know, Williams is under his control and under his thumb throughout it, rather than just trying to unload this this series of moves uh, as, as fast as possible. But yeah, in terms of that turnbuckle dive, there's just something special about seeing somebody of Kabashi's size do moves like this. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Kabashi, but I'm thinking about the reactions uh, the crowd recently gave to Yodasuji you know, in his match with Sonata at Dominion, many of whom were probably seeing this like far too aerial for somebody of Suji's size uh, Lucha offense there. And what an immediate impression that sort of thing makes on a crowd. Uh, Kobashi throws uh, Dr. Death into the barricades and does a leg drop across the back of his neck, setting up possibly a lariat to finish the, the match later. Uh, Kobashi takes control of the match for the next several minutes until uh, Williams catches Kobashi trying another flying shoulder tackle and, and Doc just bats him away. It just an impressive feat of strength on his part. It's, it's, there's so many wonderful counters that basically involve just like taking a step back and shoving the other guy away throughout this match. And when you have, again, guys of this size uh, and of this weight class, it's just impressive. It's, it's really easy to miss, but uh, kind of uh, in the middle or at, the, at this point here, there's a spot where Williams's head just gets slammed into the top turnbuckle and the side of his head just goes in at this flat horizontal angle. And he spends the next minute just kind of shaking off the whiplash, whiplash and kind of trying to deal with this blow to the equilibrium. And you can see him just, just lightly working it in there for the next few minutes of the match. There's this like reactionary attitude these days that, oh, you know, nobody sells anymore, which I know people have been saying for decades. But the reaction to that reaction or the reaction to that criticism is this like 
over-the-top garbage selling that you know you'll see on nxt or whatnot just oh my neck oh my back see clearly communicate to people like you know somebody is limping through the stations of the cross in a passion play this here is what good selling can be and it's what you know you will see i think okada uh do quite regularly it's more understated selling but it is selling nonetheless and if you're paying attention it's incredibly logical and just adds a whole level of physical credibility to the contest. Uh, Steve Williams then hits a sick looking vertical brain buster, not a suplex, a brain buster. Not as, not as smooth as say like Shinya Hashimoto's or Eddie Guerrero's, but equally devastating as it just, as like, he just drops Kobashi. This the first one. He does another one later, but this one, he drops him on his head and Kobashi, like the, 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 the the impact forces Kobashi to roll out of the ring because he knows if like if if Williams gets on top of him, he's done for. It's it's one of those mo- it's one of those spots where both guys within the logic of the match take it as an opportunity to get a breather and it makes total sense, right? For Kobashi, it's out of that survival instinct. But for Williams, it's because he's been dealing with this onslaught uh, from Kobashi for the last few minutes. So he needs that breather just to collect himself and come at Kobashi again at a at an at an even keel. So it's very much an equalizing move in the, in the structure of the match. What Williams follows Kobashi out to the outside of the ring, and now it's his turn to dish out some punishment. He drops Kobashi's throat across a barricade, which gets him a two count after he throws Kobashi back into the ring. A doc tries for some submissions with a neck lock and a camel clutch, and then hits another devastating looking brain buster. This one actually looks like he lands on Kobashi lands on his shoulders and the back of his neck, but that's got to suck too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Kobashi's. I mean, that's kind of another kind of thing that mirrors uh, from the '93 match. Here is the way that it's Williams who is kind of like immediately sort of saying, "Okay, I gotta go for his neck," because it took three, you know, back, you know, it took me dropping him on his head three times to put him down that time. He's the one who sort of has that uh, immediate targeting of Kobashi's neck this time, and you can see begin to see this frustration beginning to appear on Williams's face as that damage isn't really sticking, or at least at this point, wearing Kobashi down that much that Kobashi is popping up from that pair of brain busters pretty well. Uh, Doc continues to dominate with a beautiful looking spine buster and, and two separate bear hugs. And, and if you look at Dr. Death's arms, Bruce, like you, you do not want to be in this uh, vice like grip of, of this man with these like massive fucking arms. No, no, he's absolutely yoked to the gills here. And the fact that he then, not to steal your thunder, but he turns one of these bear hugs as she's trying to fight out of it, turns one of those into this crazy overhead belly to belly. Like, this is how you get a crowd invested in what people might derogatorily call a rest hold. You turn it into a setup for something legitimately devastating like this sick release suplex. Uh, and the crowd will pay more attention to it the next time it's applied. You don't necessarily have to suplex them the next time you get a bear hug on, but it's in the back of the audience's mind. And it gives something that might just be viewed as kind of a, a space filler or whatever, a real sense of drama. I mean, the thing with it, this over the, like he, he's got him in the bear hug. He, he, he like, he yokes him over his fucking head. Like, from a stationary position, it's not like he's shooting him into the ropes and then using the momentum of that to like take him over. He is throwing this man who is about 260 pounds legit over his fucking head. 
and 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 like it's one thing to do it to someone smaller than you and lighter than you. Kobashi is about the same size as him and probably weighs just as much, if not a little bit more than him. And and it it's it it goes to Doctor Death's reputation of being like this fucking powerhouse. Like if you ever seen him in in NWA where he's like you know, press slamming big boss men when he's Bubba Rogers and he's like maybe 200 pounds heavier than he was when he was the boss man. That's, that's pretty impressive. And like, he's, he's like shown feats of strength against people like Danny Spivey. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did something with Sid Vicious and mm. like, you know, like Sid Vicious, like to, for him to get, you know, manhandled a bit by, by, by someone else is, is goes to show you like, okay, I, I respect Dr. This. So I'm not going to fuck with him. Yeah. It, it's just that sort of brute strength that, you know, I mean, I don't know. We we can we can criticize the idea that like, oh, you know, like big muscly guys, you know, held sway over North American wrestling for for so long or something like that. But if they're actually doing incredible feats of strength like this and tossing around somebody of Kenta Kobashi's size like he's the proverbial sack of potatoes, that grabs your attention, you know, and that's something that I don't think has ever or will ever uh, leave professional wrestling, at least, you know, touch wood, God willing that it never does. Uh, Williams turns to his collegiate football roots and goes for a running tackle, but Kobashi catches it with a giant bobble like uh, neck breaker. They go back and forth until uh, Dr. Dez tries for the dangerous backdrop driver, but Kobashi counters with a flare of elbows because he knows, like, this is survival instinct here. Like, he knows that he, if he hits it, he's fucked. Uh, but he he starts landing this flare of elbows to the back of uh, Williams' neck and counters with a DDT. He then follows up with this sick-looking jumping DDT. <laughs> like, he, he jumps in the air while holding onto Doc's neck and then just drives him his head into the canvas and i'm like well doc's doc must be dead here uh, those are those are some of the like those jumping ddts are something that he was going to later on in their previous match and again he's able to get that like heavy duty offense out way earlier in this match again with a lot more kind of like control and, and drive and whatnot so you're sort of thinking like oh jesus like what you know we're what 15 minutes in or something like that 12 minutes in at this point like what are these gonna, guys gonna have left into the tank and oh boy they they have a lot left in the they tank. have a lot left more, more chops to uh, doc's neck and then uh he puts a sleeper hold on williams and then he transitions that into a neck breaker and and bruce in probably my favorite sequence of the match <laughs> kobashi goes for the lariat but Dr. Death throws him over his head with this judo-like toss. But Kobashi recovers quickly from that and just fucking blasts Dr. Death with his second attempt at the Laird. And I thought, he, he has sent this man to fucking Mars. It's okay. Look, I know I was talking about how, you know, your Tom Lawlers have been on this, you know, podcast before, but let me tell you something, WH. I took judo for four years at the community center that I, at the town I grew up in when I was about eight or nine years old. So I think I know what I'm talking about here. No, I, in all seriousness, um, with, with regards to that judo throw thing here, you do see after he gets uh, tossed, you see Kobashi roll through. Uh, that toss exactly as you are taught to in, in most forms of, you know, judo wrestling. And as, uh, as such, he's able to just roll out of that and come back with that Laird. It's not him like no selling uh, a flat back bumper or, or anything like that. Um, this is where I'd say we're kind of, we're stepping things up. This is kind of, we're kind of probably now into about the middle third of the match. Both guys are having to pivot 
from whatever their initial strategies and understandings of their opponent were. And I think wrestle in a much more reactive way. The pace is speeding up, but it's not just like, okay, spam a bunch of shit. It's okay. What has my opponent exposed? What can I transition into from where I am right now? What quick counter can I come up with? Like rolling out of that throw and coming back with a lariat. It's not, you know, we're not at the finishing sequence or the crescendo, uh, as you like to say, WH, but we're, we're well into the thick of it. And I think that sense of desperation and fire that we've been talking about with Kabashi is starting to emerge here. Kabashi decides to give Williams a taste of his own medicine, but, uh, you know, Dr. Death counters with his own elbows to the back of the neck, but uh, Kobashi counters with a great-looking dropkick to, to Doc's back, which uh, staggers him long enough for Kobashi to get his own backdrop driver, but it's not as high angle or as dangerous <laughs> as Doc's. Uh, Kobashi winds up for a running lariat, but Doc cold cocks Kobashi straight with a fucking punch to the jaw. And the, I, I love when wrestling gets really like bare bones and it's like oh you know what fuck this we're turning this into a fight now just 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 a straight punch to the face you know uh and i think if we're talking about kind of you know wrestlers working a non-brawling style and it happens sort of you know in the middle of a match that has been this sort of you know power move focused up until now it stands out and it has way more impact uh both you know proverbially and literally uh than it would have otherwise uh doc goes in to continue his assault but kobashi blocks a strike and then you know for good measure cold clocks doc in the face as a receipt and then follows up with another layer that sends dr death to the shadow realm but it's only for a two count instant karma there with the instant receipt um Okay, uh, uh, there was some mention on the Japanese commentary at this point about the Champion Carnival. They mentioned, I could hear the the commentary mentioning uh, that a couple of times. So I don't know if there was some callback to that match that they'd had a few few months before, uh, or if you were able to to understand what the commentary was saying there, WHA. Not to be, you know, thirsty on main, but if anybody out there has a link to that 1994 uh, Champion Carnival match, uh, you know, get at me in the DMs. Uh, Also, very fast two count. Uh, after that lariat there, ref. I'm just going to say it. That was a fast count. How, how dare you slander the great Kyohewada, you bastard. <laughs> you take that back. Uh, Kobashi hits two leg drops, one across the throat, and then one to the back of the neck. The uh, the, pro- the problem for Kobashi with this strategy of going after Doxin, because he, he, he actually wants to try to use the backdrop driver on Doc as kind of revenge, I think. Um, the problem for Kobashi is that Dr. Death doesn't have a neck. He no. just has a fucking tree trunk, right? It's that, in place of it. It's 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 like you know a Tomohiro Ishii match or something. You know of of all of the targets that might appear on a diagram of Steve Williams during like the mission prep graphic. You know your classic like nine you know nineties Japanese you know top down shoot 'em ups. You know where like the 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 target uh, on on the big alien ship is is there. The neck is not the like flashing red one. On no. the Steve Williams diagram, you know, go, go for a toe hold, go for a wrist lock. Don't try to like chop away at that like 80 year old redwood trunk. It's, it, it's not neck. the exhaust port on the first Death Star. Let's no, no, that, it definitely right? isn't. Definitely uh, isn't. Uh, he, he also starts laying in some massive chops to the back of, of Dr. Death's neck. Kobashi drags Doc to the ropes and drapes his neck across the second rope and hits a running leg drop while on the apron, driving Doc throat first across rope. Mm. There's a series of slaps from Kobashi to to Dr. Death and then falls with a running straight boot to Williams' solar plexus. <laughs> like, have you ever been kicked straight kicked in the chest, Bruce? I have. It sucks. 
it, it's terrible and it's relatable. You know, it's something that we can all empathize with. Uh, Doctor Death fires back with what looks like a double chop to the to the face of Kabashi. I love I love when people get hit in the face. To be uh, quite honest with you. <laughs> There was this this th- th- that kind of like falling forward double chop, um, and then uh, as um, Kobashi goes for another lariat, and then uh, Williams kind of gets him over with this kind of like slightly tottering sort of slam or suplex. And like I said, I'm not you know the amateur wrestling guy. Uh, you know, again for that you'll need to get the aforementioned Brandon from New Jersey on to really take you to the mat class. Yeah, he's never being on the show. Stop mentioning that. <laughs> but uh, you know, from what little I know about wrestling, it's like those sorts of almost kind of like tottering carryover slams or suplex that actually happen within, you know, legit amateur wrestling. And with Williams's background, he's able to make something that isn't like crisp or elegant or smooth in the way that we often praise in pro wrestling look completely legit rather than just like, Oh, that was an awkward move or, Oh, that was a botch or whatever. Even this sort of like struggling to get uh Kobashi over slam looks hugely impactful. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I think I think this is part the part where I'm at in my notes. Like, Kobashi tries for another lariat, but Dr. Death catches him and gets him up and over with a, with a modified yeah. slam. I think this is the one you're talking about. Yep, yep. This, this allows Dr. Death to shoot Kobashi into the ropes where he then catches him and press and he has an overhead press like like the the ultimate warrior or you see doctor that this is a very common move for doctor death he gets him kobashi up in this press like this is like a legit a man who is like super fucking heavy he's a human being it's different than lifting weights and then he decides you know what fuck you he throws kobashi outside the ring to the hats and i just said fuck Uh, If I'm remembering correctly, again, there's another little callback to the 93 match where Williams sort of like kind of drops, like like falls back uh, with with Kobashi kind of from that um, press position. Um, But that's sort of him just kind of like leaning back and, you know, kind of Kobashi's weight kind of carrying him uh, over. This is like the same thing but with an active throw, with active spite. Like this real sense of, you know what? Fuck this guy. This is an really uncontrolled, uncontrolled throw. Like, no. it, like he's he's not trying to throw him into the audience, obviously. But he throws him. to so that And Kobashi's landing is not controlled. No. <laughs> Let's just say that. he This man legit could have broken like his fucking legs with this throw. Oh, God. Amazing. Tremendous. Uh, Dr. Death follows up with a flying shoulder tackle from the apron to Kobashi, who is on the floor. Uh, William tries to suplex Kobashi back into the ring, but his response is to... uh, Kobashi's response is to slap and chop Doc away from him. Kobashi decides to climb to the top, but Dr. Death catches him with headbutts to his kidneys, and... (laughs) 
This is amazing. This is what, what are we into? Like 30 minutes of this match? Maybe Bruce? Dr. That then hits a legit scary as fuck looking overhead, an overhead belly to belly suplex from the goddamn top rope. I, and, and, and sends Kobashi flying across the fucking ring. Talking, talking about control and whatnot with, with, with the previous spot and everything. I cannot fathom the strength that it takes not only to do this, not only to do an overhead belly to belly on a man of Kabashi's eyes from the top rope, but to do it with the relative confidence that I hope to God Steve Williams had in doing this, that he was actually, he was like 99% certain that he'd actually be able to get Kobashi over enough for yes. a proper flat back bump rather than just breaking his fucking neck. Like, this is like the legacy that I think those like recent like Jeff Cobb and Shingo matches uh, have been carrying on. Uh, the, the difference is just maybe, you know, I mean, Jeff Cobb is not a small boy, but, you know, both of these guys are about his size, if, if not bigger here. And oh, great. And then the balance, the, the sheer athleticism of Steve Williams the, the, for the balance. The core strength. It's just, you know, to, I mean, this, this. Is, this is like, you know, when we talk about, you know, like legitimate athletic strength or, you know, pound for pound strength that everybody always talks about Castagnoli having and things like that. Like this is stuff that you cannot do just being a bodybuilder that, you know, gets trained for a few months or something like that. This is stuff that comes from a lifetime of amateur wrestling and pro football and those sorts of, and and the workout regimes that those demand. And it's, and it's not just pure strength because like these guys have still got fucking gas to go uh, in the remainder of this match. The endurance, like, I mean, obviously the endurance and and conditioning of anyone who worked all Japan in the nineties is, is unparalleled really in wrestling uh, before or since. I, I mean, there's a lot of people who have great fucking stamina. Of course, I'm not saying there isn't, but like, my God, like some of the bombs that these, people do to each other is just unfucking believable so from this belly to belly suplex from the from the top rope you think maybe doc's th- feeling confident enough to pin him no he doesn't go for the pin he just pushes referee kiyoiwada out of the way so he can then grab kobashi and then hit his signature doctor bomb for a 2.95 count i love the doctor bomb i think it's a great fucking move it's it's great. I love you know anybody uh, you know whether it's Willow Nightingale or anybody else uh, who uses it. I, I currently have it as one of my signature moves uh, in my install of Fight Forever, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, also on this pin attempt here, the camera is at least on the version I was watching. The camera is right behind the ref blocking the view of Kobashi's right shoulder, which is what he's able to get out, get up out of the Dr. Bomb. So it feels even that much closer of a near fall, I think, to the TV audience. And after that, after this moment, you get the sense to kind of go back to my, you know, <laughs> uh, shoot him up video game metaphor here. Like Kobashi is completely flashing, like not just red, he's flashing purple, like any single move properly delivered from Williams could finish Kobashi off from this point onward. Uh, Dr. Death tries for the backdrop driver, but Kobashi grabs the ropes. Doc then switches to the Oklahoma Stampede and he rams Kobashi into one turnbuckle and then a second one. But Kobashi is is able to keep his bearings enough to hang on for dear life to the ropes. So Doc uh, lets go of lets go of him and then decides to drop some knees into Kobashi's face and then just starts stomping on him. Uh, and, and it's basically, hey, you ruined my finisher, you bastard. <laughs> Yeah, between this and again in the 93 match, just the, the disrespect that was shown to the Oklahoma Stampede here, I think, really, really got in Williams's craw. 
Uh, Doc goes for another stampede, but Kobashi is able to shift his weight after the first turnbuckle and gets Doc down for two count. Uh, Dr. Death recovers and picks Kobashi up, but but big mistake as Kobashi blasts fucking Dr. Death with a beautiful looking enziguri and then follows up with a low attitude, uh, low altitude. A drop kick to Doc's knee. Uh, uh, there's a spinning back chop to Doc's face, followed by the Baba dropping neckbreaker. A body slam to Doc, and then Kobashi climbs to the top rope. He's going for his fucking moonsault. But Doc catches him, uh, but eats a flying shoulder tackle from Kobashi instead. What, this, this is just, like again, like back and forth, back and forth. You think one guy's going to get the advantage, but they don't. And it, 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 it could go either way, Bruce, at this point. This is a great fucking sequence, specifically, I think, because it starts with that drop kick to the knee. And they, they, there we go. You know, he's working something other than the neck. Thank God. Um, like the crowd reaction, if you listen to the crowd reaction to that drop kick was huge. And I think it's because this was the first kind of breathing room, like let alone hope spot, you know, you've seen from Kobashi in, in a while. Uh, and to, you know, reiterate that point off of the top. You know, a crowd will cheer for this man the instant he gives them a fraction of a reason to do so. And finding this one little gap or this one little weakness in this absolute tank of a human that is Steve Williams and Williams's reaction to the knee. And it's going to happen again in a minute. uh, Immediately, that's something that the crowd picks up on. That's I mean, again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, speaking to you about this WH. The going back and watching. The matches from this era with these all Japan crowds. And this was something that stuck out to me with uh, when I started watching even like newer, you know, new Japan, like 10 years ago, watching the way that this crowd will react to something like just, Oh, it's a, it's a drop kick to the knee or whatever. The way that that crowd reacts tells you about the investment, the intelligence and the care and attention. I think that this audience is giving the product that they are watching and the respect that they have for it as storytelling that happens within the bell to bell. Well, I mean, they're, they're educated, right? Cause they believe it's a sport mm-hmm. and it's presented to them as a sport, especially in this time period that, okay, these guys are doing things that, you know, like not, of course not in a real fight, but to them, like when, when you watch wrestling, like you want to give yourself over to the idea that it is real, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what I, I like to do, and when I watch these matches, especially go, like comparing it to, to to wrestling today, I don't I don't think any of it's real. To be quite mm-hmm. honest with you, like when I watch wrestling from this period, it's like shit. They're really fucking hurting each other, <laughs> for good or bad. Like however you want to look at that, but it's it it feels real to me, and I and I and I do enjoy that aspect of it. I think. With your point about this drop kick to the knee, I my my when I'm watching it, my gut reaction is that okay, Kobashi's tired of fucking Doctor Death picking him up, throwing him outside to the ring, uh, <laughs> overhead, you know, suplexing him off the top fucking rope. I think he's he he's so smart about being you know like with his psychology that he's like thinking I'm going to drop kick to the knee because I'm going to take away his base and he mm-hmm. can't fucking do these moves to me if he can't stand on like both legs. Right. And that's and that's a move that he would not have made, or at least the, the version of Kobashi that we saw the last time, or at least the 93 match. I don't think he's making this sort of a move. He's just he's he's you know, he's he's fighting much more desperate rather than with yeah. that degree of savvy and control. You have to think that within a year of wrestling for all Japan, that you are going to pick up so much more experience and 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 like ring savvy and just like, OK, this didn't work 
against this guy. This is like his third match with Dr. Death. Of course, there's the mm-hmm. 93 match that we, we keep referring to, but there's also the Champion Carnival match they had more recently. So these are things that Kobashi has in the back of his mind. And like they are presented as real athletes. So it's like, okay, I've got a strategy. I've watched the videotape back and forth. I've been like coaching with fucking Misawa, who's been telling me, don't do this. Go for this. You want to take away Doc's strength and his power. You have to go for his base. You don't bother with his arms or his fucking neck or his back because that's not going to work. Go for his knees. And, and again, to get back to the the idea of like, you know, both real sports and, you know, the idea of storytelling here and whatnot. <sighs> I don't. I'll get on my high horse about this. Maybe at, at the end of at, at the end of all sure. of this. But but so much of the discourse that we currently have about you know storytelling and what it is or is not in wrestling, I feel as though there's a large number of people who make comments or claims about that who don't think about or aren't aware of or have no respect for the way that stories and narratives emerge organically in real shoot whatever you want to call it sports. You know. Every every baseball game that I watch has a story to it. Every 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 you know boxing match has a story to it. Those things emerge organically out of exactly as you're saying there the strengths and weaknesses and strategies of the respective competitors. And I think people just need to not everybody. I'm most of the people listening to this podcast. I'm sure don't have any problem with this, but I think people just need to recognize that that is the original form of storytelling i think that you know pro wrestling uh is built upon it's the purest it's the it's the one that happens without any promos it's the one that happens without any uh anything specific to television production or or anything like that it's the one that doesn't rely on on bells and whistles it relies upon two people being able to build something organic and again natural that feels the way that is you know uh, somebody's you know strategy going into a sumo match does that you know a a pitcher goes into when he takes the mound and knows the weaknesses and strengths of the batters he's going to be facing like all of those things are storytelling ah and and it's and it's here and it's and it's in this match and it's it's wonderful there's a a backdrop driver from kenikabashi to williams but it's not enough to keep uh, dr death down there's another attempt at the backdrop driver, but but Doc blocks it with elbows to the neck. But Kobashi starts driving his knee into Doc's face. I love this. This is great. <laughs> and then hits the ropes and hits a great looking jumping knee to to Doctor Death's face. Uh, just just the the variety in the offense from Kobashi. He's not relying on lariats. He's not mm-hmm. relying on chops or elbows to the back of the neck. He just he he. That's one of the great things about Kobashi is that he he doesn't rely on uh necessarily on the same things like like in every match he's gonna add some things here and there this is gonna work he it's not like the the jumping knee to to someone's face is not something that you normally see in a kenikabashi match but he thought hey i i'm gonna escape this move by like fucking throwing my knee into doc's face because it's right there my knees are there and then i'm gonna follow up with a fucking hit the ropes and and hit him with a fucking jumping knee to the face that that's i think you know, in addition to just the, oh my God, the ridiculous, you know, high spots and power spots that we've been talking about. Those are the little details that have kept me coming back to this match uh, over the years, or at least that I've begun to notice. Uh, like I said, you know, the million one times I, I pulled that 10 hour video up um, because they come across as being entirely organic and natural, but reflective of that sort of reactive intelligence that I think Kobashi is showing up there in terms of what 
parts of, of Williams are exposed uh, or what opportunities his position within the ring affords him. And he has this, like, just as you're saying, just that real variety of offense and, you know, not to like, whatever throw shade at you know quote technical wrestlers or submission wrestlers or whatever it is it's not just about having i have a gazillion and one suplexes or a gazillion and one you know rollover submission holds or anything like that it's the fact that he's able to come at williams from so many different angles kind of at the drop of a, a dime whenever the opportunity presents itself the Kobashi hits a German suplex with the bridge for a near fall on on Williams. Kobashi hits his moonsault finally for, for a 2.9 count. There's a pair of leg drops to keep Doc on the mat as Kobashi tries for a third moonsault, but Doc is able to move out of the way at the last minute. Uh, Dr. Ness swats away a Kobashi dropkick, but is not ready for another dropkick to the knee, which ascends Williams crashing to the outside. I love everything about this particular sequence. This is starting with the moonsault there, because this is a callback to the, the, the previous match again, where Kobashi presses his luck with a second moonsault and comes up empty. But this time, and that happened in the previous match, but this time, because Williams has evaded it rather than countered it with the knees, Kobashi stays cool. He doesn't panic. He switches gears. Oh, you dodged that first drop kick. Hey, didn't I fuck your knee up pretty nicely with that one shot a couple of minutes ago? Oh, look what's an easy target. There we go. I love everything about that sequence. Kobashi misses, but doesn't immediately turn into like a whimpering, panicking baby. He just keeps pressing the advantage he still has. He wrestles with passion, but he also wrestles smart. Intelligence should not just be the purview of heels within wrestling matches. How can you not be rooting for this guy right now? Dr. Death starts selling the knee like it's broken. It's it's so great. He's such a good, he's so good at selling. Dr. Death. Um, Doc gets back onto the apron, but Kabashi blasts him with a combo of different chops that send him crashing back onto the floor. Uh, Dr. Death is back on his feet, on his feet, dazed and walking around on the floor. <laughs> when Kabashi does, uh, like he hits the ropes and does a running. No, he doesn't hit the rope. He just uh, kind of like circles around, like doesn't get a running start and does a running basement drop kick to fucking Dr. Death's head that knocks him back down onto the floor. Uh, Fucking great. There's a, a rolling savat kick to Doc's gut, followed by a jumping leg drop to Doc's neck. This is like if, like, like, like the thing, it's like Kobashi's doing kind of like the, the Booker T scissors kick, right, finisher, mm, kind of mm. with, with this leg drop. Like, to, for him to get up this high, especially, like, what, fucking 35 minutes of this, like, brutal match after all the punishment he's taken, for him to get up with this fucking neck, like jumping leg drop onto his fucking neck. Holy shit. Kobashi's athleticism is just on another level, Bruce. It's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like he doesn't have a huge amount of like high school. Does he have like a high school uh, wrestling background or a high school? Like he, because he kind of comes to the dojo sort of without much pedigree or without no it's he's his interest was always more in like i believe body bodybuilding right Mm, so like okay and so like you which wouldn't necessarily be able to give you the 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 athleticism no like of like jumping that high uh to give a leg drop to somebody's neck uh there's more leg drops to dr death as uh he's he's lying pro face prone face down on the mat uh and then kobashi goes to the top rope and hits an avalanche leg drop to dr death's face and as as it's funny because like Williams is like another part of the ring, and then he he starts rolling, and as he rolls onto his back, it, that's the perfect timing. That's when Kobashi hits him, and he lands 
on his fucking face. Amazing timing. And I don't think that's on purpose. I think that's a beautiful accident. Okay, okay, okay. I have sort of always interpreted this as Williams kind of going like, oh, fuck, he's on that pole. Yeah, he's not going to make that. He needs the extra three, you know, two or three feet. I'm going to roll over. That's, and look, if there's, if there is one very, very minor flaw in this entire match, if it is, as I've I've read it, it would be Williams kind of rolling into that leg drop rather than away from no, it. No, you see, Bruce, I'm going to explain this to you. So okay. it's logical. So there's some psychology to this. It's like, Williams doesn't know where the fuck he is. You know what I mean? Like, yes, uh, as a shoot, he's probably, it's probably what you're saying, but in kayfabe, yeah, right? in the kayfabe of this match, he doesn't know where he is. He's like, uh, uh, Kabashi's on that side, so I'm going to roll to the other side. But he doesn't know that Kabashi's on the other side. Yeah, so yeah why he rolls into the move. He knows. He knows that, like you know, there's been all of these moon salts and everything like that. He had to roll out of the way to evade the previous moon salt. Something like that is coming. He knows he has to move. He just can't pick up uh, on on which ring post Kabashi is on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to to, to, to keep it kayfabe, that's that's what's going on there. But it just there's a it's just a little sticks out to me. But anyway, very very uh, as devastating as this leg drop to your to, to the face is, it's not enough to keep uh, Steve Williams down. Uh, Kabashi looks like he's about to cry with frustration at this point because he he no matter what he does no matter how many times he fucking like blasts dr death with these fucking moves dr death is not staying down steve williams is too fucking tough for him and he and he's kind of like realizing this uh kobashi goes for a vertical suplex several times but but uh steve williams blocks them all and then Kobashi switches to his jackknife folding powerbomb, which he hits, but can't keep hold of. Uh, on he can't keep hold of Doc long enough to get to get the three count. Whether and, by intent or accident, Kobashi only holding one leg after the rolling through on that powerbomb looks great. Like those are the sorts of moves that I'm sure wrestling commentators see as just like down the pipe meatballs that they can square up on. Like I don't speak Japanese, but I put money on the commentary saying something like, Oh, if Kabashi had only been able to hold on to both of the legs rather than just one, this match would be over now. And again, whether that's intentional or not perfectly plays into the match. Uh, Kabashi assaults Dr. Death some more in the corner, but at the last minute, uh, Steve Williams blasts out of the corner and knocks Kobashi down with a running tackle. Just beautiful stuff. And again, he's reactionary, but it's also within his repertoire that that it, that it totally makes sense that he would do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc reverses an Irish whip and runs Kobashi into the corner while maintaining risk control. I, I know one of your favorite things, Bruce, is maybe risk control. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and, and he lands a body press and then follows up with another overhead belly to belly. He's recovered from those two. Uh, he's recovered enough from those two uh, drop kicks to the knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not enough to keep Kobashi down, though. There's another backdrop driver temp. Kobashi blocks. Kobashi uh, hits. Uh, goes for a spinning back chop, but misses. There's a second attempt uh, at the spinning back uh, chop, but Doc catches him and, and and is able to get him into position for the dangerous backdrop driver. And drops Kobashi right on his fucking head. But guess what, Bruce? Kobashi won't sit down as Doc only gets a 2.5 count here. I love, obviously, as we've been talking about, so much of this match has been built around Williams trying to hit the dangerous backdrop driver 
Kobashi having gone through it several times uh, before and knowing that it's, you know, a, a potential instant lethality to him. And you've seen him, as we've talked about, you've seen him do work to kind of get out of position or avoid that move. But here with those two kind of like spinning back chops that he goes for, everything that Kobashi has done has been so much of it has been very, very measured, very precise, very controlled. But if you look at those kind of like spinning bat chops, he's very wild with them. He's just kind of out of control. His excitement, his desperation starts to get the better of him here. And those two whiffs, you know, are just enough for him to instantly pay the price uh, for, for getting a bit wild there with a mat, with a, a move that, you know, could have, you know, broken his neck, let alone ended the match. Um, Doc throws Kobashi down headfirst into the mat, but Kobashi gets right back up and hits another drop kick to the knee. Uh, Kobashi desperately goes for the backdrop driver onto Steve Williams, but Doc blocks it every time. Kobashi hits a lariat, but Doc grabs him and backdrop drivers Kobashi headfirst into the top turn buckle. And holy fuck, I thought, oh my god, he's he's killed this man like you were alluding to before in terms of treating things like a sport, I don't necessarily like knowing how magicians do their tricks, but look, we can imagine as, as observers, we can imagine how it's possible for Kabashi to have ameliorated some of the damage done by the previous backdrop drivers, or, you know, more recently there was like that reverse angle, which showed how sort of Omega actually took the, the tiger driver 91 from Osprey. But I cannot conceive of any way that Kobashi could uh, anticipate or account for having his head slammed into that turnbuckle at that completely random angle off of this move. He sort of gets one hand up on the top rope as he's coming down, but you get the sense that that's like legit, like I'm just flailing and going to try to grab onto anything to try to soften this. But he has no idea where he's going or how to soften it going into that turnbuckle. Just, oh. Oh yeah, so Kobashi is completely out of it, and 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 so is so is Doctor Death. Like and but even though he's just as dazed as Kobashi is, uh, Doctor Death senses the blood in the water like a shark, and then he he finally hits a backdrop driver, but with a bridge, to finally get the one two three on Kenny Kobashi in forty one minutes and twenty three seconds in, in a match that does not feel like it's forty one minutes long. It to me it feels like like it's more like a twenty five minute mark match because like just so much happens and it's such an exciting match and then there's not there's no really lull periods in this match. It, no, it's, no it's election. Yeah, it, it 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 keeps you going the whole way through to the point that when I first pulled up like a standalone video of this rather than again watching it in that long block there, I was like, oh wait, is is this actually the right match? Because yeah, that 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 match that I've seen a bunch of times before, that's only like 20, 23 minutes long. It's not like 40 or 50 minutes long. What is this? Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's just absolutely all killer, no filler here. Obviously, Kobashi does not get the win, but I think you can see the progression that he has made as you know, uh, as an intelligent wrestler, uh, as somebody that can rally the crowd behind him in an instant, and you can see that, okay, fine, it's not today, but at a moment's notice, you know, the, the trigger could be pulled on him, uh, and, you know, uh, you know, he, he, he could be given uh, the, the illustrious Triple Crown here. And, and certainly, you know, if, you know, the Misawa thing has happened, what, like three, like four years ago? 
something like that, the, the, the Audible on Masawa or something like that. So again, that audience is aware of that sort of thing, right? And I think they are entirely buying the fact that uh, Williams could be being used as a transitional champion to, or to, to get the championship um, over from Masawa uh, to Kabashi here. Well, it, it is, he is a transitional champion. But well, yes. Not for <laughs> yes, yes. It, it would be to Toshiaki Kawada. Um, uh, after this match, is what a match. First of all, let's say that. But after the match, there's the, the, the post match is great because both men are down and, and Dr. Dweth recovers and like Johnny Ace is there because he's, you know, Johnny Ace is allied with, with Steve Williams at this point. Um, Terry Gordy's pretty much gone because of his personal issues. Um, Spivey's and, there too, I think, right? Spy, no, Spivey wouldn't be in his corner because he's paired with Stan Hansen. All right. Um, uh, but yeah, Doc, you know, he wants to, he, he knows, wow, I've had a fucking great match with this guy and he's fucking amazing. So he goes over to Kabashi and shows respect to, to him by, by hugging him, bring him up, getting him on his feet, hugging him and just saying like one more time, let's do it one more time. Mm. Uh, I love seeing this kind of sportsmanship in wrestling because it is so rare, actually. Rare. Well, it's maybe not as rare as it should be, but when it is earned in the way that it is here, it's absolutely what you want to see. And even before he goes up and approaches Kabashi, there's a spot where Williams is just kind of seated as, as, as I think it's Johnny Ace is kind of coming in beside him and icing him down or whatever it is. And he just has this kind of like, like it's kind of a glazed or a dazed look, but it's also this like, wow look on his face that I have to believe is, is entirely legitimate. You know, in the first match that we were talking about, you know, Williams puts Kobashi away with, boom, those three, you know, backdrop drivers. In this match, Williams survives Kobashi. He feels like he is a fundamentally different person uh, after, after having in, in endured this sort uh, of match here. Um, yeah, you know... <laughs> In 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 terms of just in terms of my my larger thoughts about the match overall, um, I'd like to think WH that I'm a pretty amiable guy. Uh, you know when I when I do postmarks uh, and on the the New Japan shows that I do with Karen, and I don't mean to go into business for myself here with with you know on your turf with this, but oh my God, does more modern wrestling need more of this stuff? And again, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't need to me, me to convince you. WH has been spreading the gospel for a long while now. But if you cannot get into the passion, the drama, the intensity, and the beauty of this match, you and I watch pro wrestling for very different reasons. Kobashi is the ultimate fiery baby face. He's slowly being schooled. He's being hardened and tempered by these sorts of battles that he is having with these indestructible tanks like Steve Williams. And again, if you're one of these people who needs storytelling in your wrestling, I hope that, you know, the last hour or so uh, has, has showed that there's plenty of story both in this match and how it links to both men's careers, both with and without one another. And if you're still having trouble seeing the story after all of that, uh, I don't know, get better at watching wrestling because this match fucking rules. You know, Bruce, if if I saw an equivalent of this on, like, say, a fucking indie show, right? It'd be like two guys, be two guys wrestling each other for fucking twenty minutes, hitting each other with fucking like some stiff chops and kicks to the to each other, and, and dropping each other on each other's heads, and then like, you know, the whoever wins wins, and the other guy shakes his hand, and then and the fucking crowd 
all these fucking marks going to chant both these guys, both these guys. And if I was in that audience, I would say, fuck all you get, all you fucking people. You just watch some bullshit and you're all a bunch of fucking idiots. And I'd leave the fucking building <laughs> and I would never come back to that promotion again. That's just <laughs> how I would feel because this is, this is real wrestling. A lot of what I see today is just fucking pretend shit. Like where they, they think they're on some kind of level to this because they hit each other really fucking hard and drop each other on each other's heads. No, there's a story to this. There is, there is, there's like passion and there's thought to it and it plays to the strengths of both men. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, and if you tell me like, Oh, that show I saw on, you know, IWTV uh, from fucking Delaware or something was like the equivalent of this. Fuck off. Oh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying like some fucking idiot was going to say that to me. I'd be like, fuck off. You don't know what no, you're no, talking about. No, no, no. I mean, I, the, to have stuff of this caliber also requires athletes of this caliber and also the training and long-term booking, you know, and, and, and development, uh, maybe even more so than booking the development, uh, you know, that, that maybe is difficult for, for people to do for, for various reasons here. But even as, as we're waxing, you know, lyrical and rhapsodical about all this, the fact that the triumphant stupidity of, I love it loud by kiss Steve Williams's music is yes. playing as all of this happens is just perfect that's yes. just that is just this big dumb thudding drum beat and just the call and response honestly Whoa. one of the greatest entrance themes uh, of all time to me like when you when he comes out or gordy comes out to it or they come out together to to kiss i love it loud it's a is wow fuck it's, 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 it's a song fine it's a song and a band I would never really want to hear outside of this con context. Like I don't want Kiss just showing up on my workout playlist or or anything like that. I, I don't really like Kiss at all. But boy, howdy, this is the perfect environment for just this, you know, massive tank of a guy who has wrecked people in American wrestling, has wrecked dudes in the NFL, and is now just pummeling and erasing the neck of you know japan's uh you know uh, great hope that's uh, that's on the horizon and kind of waiting in the wings here just that big triumphant you know uh exclamation point uh to musically stick on the end of this match so we just wrap it up by saying this actually would be uh steve Williams' only successful title defense of the triple crown as he would lose that title to toshiaki kawada about a month later on october 22nd uh, 1994 and uh, it was he was a transition champion from Misawa to Kawada because Baba just didn't want to do it you know he mm -hmm. didn't want to do that 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 put Kawada put on getting the getting the win over Misawa for you a gotta long wait time for that. you gotta wait he, for that he no but he should have done it like I think he should have done it like I, I'm not sure necessarily in 94 but he should have done it before when mm -hmm. he actually did it and he did it in a, in a and he booked it in such a bullshit way is one of his flaws as a booker was that he never wanted Kawada to have a definitive win over Masawa because Masawa was his was his son essentially. Mm -hmm. But that brings us to the end of this match. I gave it five stars. It's a five star match. Easy for me. I think Dave gave it. Dave Melcher gave it a four point seven five or something like that. And he gave and he gave a five to the previous one, the ninety three one. And I'm kind of flipped on that. The previous one's a four point five or four seven five for me. And yeah, this is a straight up five. For this me. is there's, a five. There's, like there's that one change. that one's good. It's great. But it's I think this one is better because yep, yep. it has more resonance uh based on 
the the 93 match as well. They would go on to have singles matches in, I think, like 96, 97, 98, and even what I have to imagine is a pretty diminished Williams by 2000. Um, I'm, I'm, WH, I'm kind of, I, I want to push forward with these. I don't know that I want to push all the way forward to 2000 era Williams, what would you what would you advise or what would you suggest? In terms I, I, I of watching think the 96, he, 97, you think that's safe? He, he, 97, I think he's still good enough. Right. Like, and he's he's probably saving a lot of his like big stuff for someone like Kobashi or or Masawa. Um, like he likes them. He hates Kawada, like legit. Mm. Him and Kawada do not never got along. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think for by 2000, 99, 2000, he's, his value is more as the veteran tag team wrestler to someone coming up like say Gary Albright, for example, in the triangle, right. uh, triangle of power the team that they form or I, I it, it, and he does, I think I did, he does team with and wins tag team titles with Vader when Vader comes in as well. Mm. Um, Williams's value is as like a guy now to put over other people or to give them the rub being his tag team partner. So by that point, but 97, he's, he's still good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And 97, I think, when does he go to the WF? I think that's, is it 99 that the brawl for all is? Yeah. So he's, he goes, fails, unfortunately comes back. Um, and like you know, Bob, I because he left on good terms with Baba, so he was he was mm-hmm. or or and Misawa, and so like it was okay for him to be able to kind of come back and stuff. But um, yeah, that brings us to the conclusion of this excellent match that we got to watch. And 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 Bruce, do you have any uh, uh any any uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Any plugs and any <laughs> any final thoughts about uh this yeah, yeah this match or anything? Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, if you're listening to this and you're aware of all things happening within the post wrestling world, you might be aware that the latest episode of Postmarks uh, with my co-host David Myers uh, and I, speaking with Mark Polisell of C4 Wrestling uh, of Ottawa, is free for everyone to listen to at the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, David and I just got another couple episodes with members of the post community in the can, and I think people will really enjoy those conversations in the months ahead uh much like the elite just earlier today i came to terms with uh post's own tony khan john pollock about continuing to cover new japan shows for the site alongside uh your friend and mine wh uh, karen peterson so we will have uh some key cards covered uh as new japan moves on from the g1 and towards wrestle kingdom uh with karen and my um and myself in the months ahead um if you want to find me anywhere, I'm Contrasoma, that's C-O-N-T-R-A-S-O-M-A on most socials, uh, Twitter, LastFN, Untapped, uh, RIP to Grapple. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, my friend Alex and I write and podcast about what we like to call darker alternatives, uh, kind of goth and industrial music, things like that, at idiudi.com and on the We Have a Technical podcast. Uh, WH, I know that you're a fan of both New Order and the Smiths and Contentious Opinions. Uh, so you might enjoy the Listen Along Commentary podcast where we went in on the first record by Electronic, the collaboration uh, between Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr, which, unlike this collaboration between Kabashi and Williams, does not hold up in the cold light of day. Uh, in, in How dare you? How dare it's you? Not- it's, not, it's not just fucking Johnny Marr and Bernard Sumner. Fucking Chris Lowe and fucking Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys. They are the only, they are the silver lining on that record. Anything, anything Pet Shop Boys is always going to have. Uh, well, what, do you, what do you think dignity. about Peter Hook's uh, side band, Monaco? 
Oh, gee. Monica, I, I don't know. I mean, of all of the post-New Order side projects, like none of them are good qua good, and certainly none of them are good in comparison uh, to even mediocre New Order records as far as I'm concerned. Of all of them, I just... It's not that they're actually literally better, but I kind of like the other two records by uh, Jillian and Steven just because they're so unassuming. And those are just two likable people who haven't spent the last 15 years kind of publicly arguing with one another in the press and belittling, uh, you know, the, the, the legacy of, of both of those bands that they're involved with. Every, everybody loves Steven and Jillian and them just kind of noodling around doing some cute synth pop is fine. As uh, my friend Cole would say, blip blop music. I love blip blop yes. music. Yes. You listen, do you ever want to review a Future Sound of London's ISDN record? You let me know. Okay. Oh, oh, I, I can get down with some FSOL. But uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, <laughs> WH, it was a real privilege to be invited on here. Um, I always learn so much listening to you and the guests that you have on about uh, a period of time and a group of wrestlers that I am always eager uh, to know more about. When I listen to the long and winding Royal Road, I always end up with a whole bunch of homework to do, a whole bunch of tabs open in my browsers, more reading, more matches. Uh, but invariably, it ends up amplifying my understanding and appreciation of wrestling, both new and old. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for saying so, Bruce. It means a lot to me. Uh, hey, if, if for my plugs, hey, you know, at WH Park 9 on most socials, so sometimes I don't accept people's requests. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of my socials are actually personal, prerogative. Uh, kind of personal things. So, uh, but that being said, if if you like this show, go support it. If you want to be cool like Eddie Kingston, go buy the fucking the fucking t shirt. Not that one. That that's still available, of course. But the the uh, the new one, the the more recent one with uh, the five pillars with Gene Akiyama included in uh in the imagery eddie loves that fucking shirt man he's wearing it fucking everywhere yeah, oh yeah fucking fucking ribera steakhouse where he got the jacket he's wearing that fucking ja- shirt underneath his fucking newly acquired repair jacket i you, you don't know how much that popped me and then he's showing up at like fucking press conferences sneaking his head in, and it's like he's wearing the fucking t-shirt but god bless you eddie kingston for fucking loving hell that yeah. shirt hell yeah but you can buy that shirt too at store.postwrestling.com. And uh, it's, 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 as Way says, WH, you're the best seller of all time at the, at the, at, at the merch store at postwrestling.com. And what can I say? There you go. Uh, for me, thanks for, to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for uh, continually supporting the show with like uh, likes on, uh, when we post it up on social media. And uh, yeah, we got, you know, we got like the rest of the year to look forward to. I have some ideas of things I want to do. I think next month, like I, I gotta, I haven't talked to the person I want to get on as a guest next mm. month, Bruce. But like, I, I, I'm pretty sure um, they're gonna. I have a special match lined up for them to talk about with me outside of the normal purview of this mm. show, which is the All Japan in the '90s. We might be going to to the early '80s with the next show oh. because we want to talk about. The, the late great Terry Funk who recently passed away RIP and so like my next guest who I won't say until we actually uh, signed them <laughs> we're, we're, I'm, I'm pretty sure when I present him with this like idea this match would you want to talk about this match with me I'm saying he'll say yes and then you'll all find out who I'm talking about next uh, next month uh, and and until then to everyone listening thank you and goodbye goodbye